Welcome to KnowledgeCast. This is a look into the world of knowledge management, information management, data management, and everything in between. This is brought to you by Enterprise Knowledge. I'm Zach Wall, founder and CEO of EK, and today we're speaking with Sandrine Krasnopolsky, who's the Knowledge Management Director at Fragman. Sandrine, welcome. Thanks, Zach. Nice to be on. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, Sandrine, we always like to jump right in and ask this really formative basic question that everybody seems to have a different answer to. What's KM? How do you define it? How do you explain knowledge management and its value? For me, KM is really a discipline rather than just a series of actions. Typically, KM is defined as the efficient method to capture, access, leverage, and share information. And that's true. I think it's all of these action verbs, but it goes really beyond the actions. For me, it's a deliberate way of interacting with information. That's what makes it a discipline. The intent is clear from the moment you decide to collect or encounter information. KM as a discipline really provides a framework to help you make the right decisions that support the knowledge loop. And if you practice it with intent, then you'll internalize it. It'll be second nature and it will and should inform every decision you make about information. What do I mean when I say the knowledge loop? Because <laughs> I, I see you probably asking me that. Um, it's on my sticky. I've got it. I want to ask. <laughs> Look, it's, the knowledge loop is really about looking at the whole story and what happens to information. So if you look at it like planning a, to write a great novel, right? You look at the plot design. Maybe you already know the ending. And the whole point of putting that together is to think about how are you going to capture the information? Who's going to use it? How and when in the story is this information relevant? And how do you present it so it's part of the process and not just a footnote or a reference in the glossary? You know, my team always laughs at me because I talk about the kitchen. Knowledge is sort of a great big kitchen. There is a dining room, but I love the kitchen. So for me, I think about that well-tended kitchen in those restaurants that are really well-established. The ultimate goal is efficiency, it's quality, it's constant improvement to make sure that as cooks, you're always looking to improve the menu and you want your patrons to come back. So in this restaurant, everyone's got a purpose. Process is king. If something unexpected comes up, everybody can quickly problem solve and pivot. So every item's got a purpose and it's stored in a strategic drawer and it's easy to reach in the midst of the dinner crowd. We plan for the now and the later, we gather, we prepare, and ultimately we're trying to establish a deeper connection with the right people at the right time. So no hot soup in the middle of the summertime for us, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> So by doing that, you really create an atmosphere that brings patrons back meal after meal, and that keeps your kitchen staff happy and you develop a culture over time that sustains this discipline. So that's my definition of knowledge with all this imagery. But let me tell you a little bit about our organization's definition of knowledge and would it help to tell you a little bit about our knowledge group and how we fit in the structure? Yeah, I mean, thus far, you're painting this picture of Fragman as the French laundry of KM, so I'm excited <laughs> to hear more. Go for it. Okay, great. You know, for our organization, the definition is similar to what I've just painted, but it's also broader. So what makes the knowledge group so unique at Fragman is that KM is a function within our group. It's not the entire group's function. The knowledge group here not only gathers, curates, distributes organizational content, but it also generates a large amount 
of country content and it draws insights from that content that it then re-injects into the operations and other products and services. So it continuously enriches the organizational landscape and it enriches our content. So it's a huge draw for our clients who depend on it. And in that sense, we do nourish the knowledge loop. What I always find interesting is, you know, when you listen to people about their KM function, it always sits either in IT or HR. It's never in one place. For us, it's a corporate function. So we are considered sort of the corporate part of the organization. Where's the line? Are you drawn up to the COO or to a managing partner as a COO? Yeah, right. So we have a CKO who reports to the COO and also consults with the executive committee. So that's what's really great because there's a really strong connection with leadership. That is the ideal place for KM, all things being equal. Yeah, yeah. What did you say? The French laundry? Is that it? (laughs) I mean, again, just to continue the metaphor, I mean, does this make you Thomas Keller? I mean, I've always wanted to meet him. (laughs) Yeah. So look, it's a sizable group. When I first joined 12 years ago, it was about eight people. And it was the small operations within the global operations. It's now a corporate department. There are 29 of us. Some are immigration attorneys and seasoned immigration professionals because that's our business. But we also have staff with different backgrounds and including librarians and teachers by training. I have many questions. Sandrine, you're making this very easy on me because you're answering a lot of them as we go. But I want to pause on a couple of things that you said. First of all, you mentioned that Fragment also has a CKO. Staff of 29. In fact, we've interviewed Nikki Ushendak previously. So one of your colleagues shared some of the great work that Fragment's doing from her different perspective. Can you explain the role of the CKO versus your role How does the organization really operate from that KM perspective? The CKO really sets up the strategy and aligns the KM strategy with the organizational strategy, which that's really key to success. It's probably not as neat as I describe it. Really, that is the framework. I think that's what keeps us in check in terms of our KM function. The way that our group is divided is really into three branches that speak to core business and products and services. So there is one branch that is dedicated to U.S. immigration expertise, and those are the SMEs on staff. And that is the small group that informs other immigration attorneys, clients on the latest changes in U.S. regulations. That is part of the knowledge group. That's the content and the advice and advisory piece, right? The second branch is my branch, which is content. So content is sort of separated into two sub-branches. One of them is AM, and that includes the internet. We have built and we do manage the firm's internet, which is a great tool for us because that gives us a perfect avenue to share knowledge internally. And then the second piece is managing country content information library. And that's where we document the immigration framework and processes. It's a tiered structured list of about 22,000 immigration data points across 130 countries. And from that, we leverage that information to produce country documents like immigration snapshots, process guides, document checklists that our clients can consult and that we ourselves consult either when we onboard immigration professionals or they use it as a reference too. So it's for both internal and external audiences. We also produce immigration process videos. So that's kind of fun. 
got an audio and video avenue that keeps it really lively. And then the third branch, last but not least, is our knowledge advisory branch. So that is the branch that uses the country content that's headed by a very seasoned senior attorney. And the purpose of that branch is to use our content to help clients with specific situations, immigration situations, setting an immigration framework and compliance program, for example, within their business to make sure that they're making the right decisions about relocating employees. You can imagine that branch had a really strong role during the pandemic with all of the closures and travel restrictions. Could I infer from that, Sandrine, that that knowledge advisory group is actually billing? So there's revenue generation within the CKO's office. That's unique. That's cool. Very, very, very unique. He likes to say that we're the only revenue generating corporate entity within our corporate functions at Fragment. That's interesting. The other thing that stands out for me, just as you described the org structure and the three components of it, is how central a role knowledge management has within the organization. I mean, obviously very content centric. You talk about gathering and curating and generating content, but managing the internet, managing the library, advisory services, this puts KM truly at the center of the organization. Everybody is being ideally positively affected by this. That's really powerful. Look, it's really powerful. And I credit leadership for that because it doesn't happen in a vacuum. So we are really fortunate to have a very supportive leadership who does believe and see the value of knowledge. Can you give me a little bit of history of that? Because you're right, this doesn't just happen. Somebody doesn't just snap their fingers. This is unique and it is also, I think, based on what I've heard from you thus far and what Nikki had shared previously, working quite well. How did leadership come to this? What was the aha moment? When did this happen? And how did they affect this organizational structure? So look, I've been there for a while and I've been with the knowledge group for all of my tenure at Fragman, mostly because as you can hear, it's very diverse, right? There are a whole range of activities. Initially, the knowledge group was a small team within the global operation that was tasked with generating country content to respond to client needs about, hey, can you give me a quick immigration snapshot on Vietnam? You know, what are the business visas like? What's the work authorization framework? What's the compliance landscape look like? So we were getting recurrent questions and, you know, our global operations just didn't have the time and nor did it make sense to always recreate content when it was something that you could just establish, standardize and maintain. So that was the main purpose. The main purpose was efficiency. And the second one was standardization. But ultimately, it was meant to address a client need. So That was sort of the narrow scope was country content and how to make it more accessible. And then look, I think it quickly grew as there was an understanding that number one, you needed an easy way to share that content, both with clients and with our own employees, because keep in mind, we've got so much, you know, tacit knowledge and expertise on hand. We wanted our own people to read it so that they could provide comment and tell us when we got it wrong, right? Super important, that knowledge loop. Massive organization with people all over the world, right? Like how many employees, how many countries? 6,000 plus, 170 jurisdictions, and 60 plus offices worldwide. There you go. There's a a little diversity there. That's a pretty big presence. So that's when we turned to the intranet. So there was an existing intranet that was pretty static and underused and underread. And one of our directors at the time said, hey, how about we take over the intranet? (laughs) 
<laughs> and that was the end of that. So, you know, taking over the internet meant getting a lot of people trained in SharePoint. And then lo and behold, Microsoft Office 365 took over the office and the organization. And that's when I think our role went, rolled a little bit into tech in the sense that we had to train up on SharePoint, on Microsoft 365 apps, and all of those great communication tools. I think it happened very organically. And I think that's probably what makes it stick. There was this understanding that the more we built, the more we got involved, the easier it was to recognize our value and the easier it was for leadership to say, hey, this is really great. Let's call knowledge. And more and more, it was, you know, you call HR when you have people issues. Well, you call knowledge when there's anything related to content and even process efficiency to some degree. Let's stick on the internet for a second. Generally, when I think of a corporate internet, in a way that you could really oversimplify things and divide it into two types of content. It's the content that helps an employee do their job, really the corporate knowledge, the stuff that you've been talking about, but it's also in a way the stuff they get for doing their job. The benefits information, the corporate news, the org structures. Does the KM group also curate all that content or are you engaging with like HR and learning groups in order to supply that content? I think it's a real collaboration. We do help them. The ultimate goal there is that they are the SMEs of their own content. They know their content. We help with best practices. We show them how to curate it. We show them you know, how to post announcements. We're sort of this guiding force. Now, every department has different needs, readers and different users. So we also keep that in mind. So it's not a one size fits all. There's some departments that require a little bit more support than others. Marketing kind of runs its own show because they're really familiar with some of these tools, right? But others may need a little bit more support. So that's what I mean by collaboration. The degree depends on the function. But ultimately, we are the gatekeepers in the sense that if anything is out of date, we do get queries from our own employees saying, hey, I couldn't find this. Or, hey, is this the latest? This is the most current we will go back to the content SMEs and say, hey guys, can you take a look at this or can we rejig this? It's working well. Both of us see the value. We respect their expertise. They respect ours, which is to help them highlight their content. So let's talk a little bit about where some of the lines are drawn. You're mentioning collaboration. Generally, there's a few touch points that get squishy in some organizations. So for instance, SharePoint is... A technology. How does IT come into play? What do they own? What does the KM group own? How are those lines drawn? And how's that collaboration been effective? I'm not an enemy of squishy. I think squishy, <laughs> squishy I think can squishy be good. Squishy is good. I think squishy is good, especially with IT. It didn't happen overnight. Let me just say this. There was a little bit of, I don't want to call it friction, but I think a misunderstanding of roles. Maybe in the beginning when SharePoint came in, who has control over SharePoint? And I think the administration of SharePoint and of course, Microsoft 0365 sits with IT, but we have administrative roles, we and knowledge, so that we're able to do a broad range of aspects. We really only rely on IT with high level administrative support. Otherwise, we're pretty self-sufficient. And we did that with intent so that we would have some form of independence, number one, to alleviate 
the demands that IT has in all other aspects of information. And number two, because it was fun. Like, it's really interesting stuff. And we had a bunch of people really interested in it. And it's fun to play with it. It keeps our jobs interesting and it makes our work more efficient. So I think when IT understood that, you know, it's a vital component of what we do. They're really important actors, but they don't dictate the KM way. And they know that. They understand that. And that tracks with what I would say is a best practice, right? IT's responsibility is to make the tech work. It would be KM's responsibility to design it and populate it in such a way that people care that it works and would miss it if it didn't. And so it seems like that's that's not so squishy. That that's pretty healthy and pretty great. How about the learning group? Picture onboarding, new employees. KM owns a lot of the content they need in order to learn to be successful. How do you collaborate with your HR and learning folks that are responsible for measuring that learning or for delivering that learning? There's a very close relationship with HR. We have what's called the Fragment Academy happens monthly in every region. We were actively engaged in sort of demoing the internet and having people onboarded understand what it is that we do and what their role is. I always say there is a knowledge group, but everybody is part of the knowledge group at the firm because we're all supposed to contribute the content. I mean, we're all actively engaged in that content exchange. We're active participants. We're involved in discussions. They design the onboarding schedule, but we are consulted on it. Recently in Africa right now, we're hiring several consultants and they asked us to put an onboarding condensed Africa content manual. So for us, it was here are the essentials that you need to know in your first month at Fragman working on these cases. How do you work with knowledge to address certain needs that clients may have? It's consultation and delivery on some of the training when appropriate. That's great. Now, to reference back to the org structure, does that come out of your specific group? That sounds like a library request to me. Yeah, Okay. Cool. Neat. So let's take a step back and hear a little bit more about your own path. I looked at your LinkedIn page. You've got a little bit of an interesting path to KM. It's a fun, ongoing journey. (laughs) If I look back, I think I mostly made the right decisions at the right time what felt right at the time. And I'm thankful that I paid attention to what I needed at the moment because it got me to where I am now and pretty happy with it. I was practicing KM probably a lot earlier than when I knew what it was. It was probably an aha moment where I said, hey, wait a minute, this is KM. I've been doing this for a while, right? So my background is international relations and communications. I got into immigration because of that background and through that initial interest. I'm an immigrant, so I've been through that difficult and exhilarating journey of picking up your life and starting transplanting it into another country. Professionally, I always look to work in a multicultural environment. And so that's where I started with a visa service, doing on a much, much smaller scale, some of the work that Fragment does, which is helping corporations and individuals move around the world. And then I did that for a couple of years and stepped across the desk to work for the Australian government at the Embassy of Australia here in Washington, and then headed the operations there which is an amazing decade's worth of experience. And I think that's really where those KM duties, if you will, really started to come to light because when you're really in the operations there, you're doing the doing part, right? You realize how much your speed, your efficiency, your accuracy relies on information that you have at hand right there at the moment that you needed. So a lot of the work there was about process efficiency, 
you know, they used to call it process improvement initiatives, but it was really about how do you best store information, disseminate it. And there also, I was working a lot on their website. So it was also how do you get the public informed so that it relieves some of the stress on these officers there. Anyway, found my way here at Fragman and a real eye opener. And what I love about this job here is that I never get bored. We work with videos, so there's a little bit of tech. We work a lot with contents. We publish a lot of articles. There's writing, there's collaboration, there's a lot of people involved, and it's great. So I think one lesson learned for those who maybe are trying to get into the field is don't think about, oh, I don't have the right background. You know, I didn't make the right choices. I think there's always a space if you're interested in the journey of information to get into KM. I love that. I want to pull on this a little bit more. If I'm reading this correctly, your first KM role formally was at Fragment. Yes, absolutely. And that, and that was your entry into Fragment. So what was that aha moment for you that made you say, I'm going to apply for a knowledge management position? I didn't. It, this no, you didn't. Funny part. No, no. I applied for a different position and somebody ah. at Fragman said, I, I think you'd be good at that. I think you'd be good with the knowledge group. It was even better. This is why I say it's the right decisions. And some of them, it's sort of listening to those opportunities where somebody else says, hey, you know what? I think you applied for this job, but I think you'd be really good at that job or turning down this job to take on the other job. So that's what happened. Got it. And that is yet another example of Fragman's maturity is that they can actually understand the entire organizational need and basically recommend a position for which you didn't apply. Now, Sandrine, you said something earlier, and I always like to point this out because it is absolutely a theme in the most successful people that I get to interview here. You were doing KM before it was in your title. You recognized the need, and it sounded like it sort of happened around this time of the late 90s, early 2000s when the internet boom was happening, and you just realized this needed to be done. So you are, like many successful KMers, a professional gap filler. Would that be right? <laughs> Yes, that's right. So I was with the Australian government and the Australians had moved. They were among the first ones to move to a digital immigration system. They had that e-visa component, which was storing information, digital platforms to make processes a little bit more streamlined. That's when I started working for the Australian government. So I really got into the thick of that. And that was a little bit of an eye opener because it shows you what you can do to focus on the essential with information. So there's lots of information. Uh, my biggest enemy is content noise. Let me share that with you. There's a lot of stuff coming my way and I wish there were a quicker way to segregate the complex that really needs my attention from the simple or maybe the not relevant. And when the Australian government was looking at e-visas, it was looking at making that selection, if you will. It's saying, hey, all of those simple cases where we can green light those applications, the system, the technology can help us do that so that we can really focus on those complex cases and give it our full attention and really use our skills for what's needed. Excellent. Now, you said something else, which I'll boil it down. If there's one piece of advice you want to give somebody who wants to get into the field, it's to say yes, to take the opportunity to make the leap and recognize that even if you've never had KM in your title, there are a certain set of skills that KMers have. I love that theme of saying yes and taking the opportunity. Can you go further, though, if you were to be a little bit more tactical about it? How have you upskilled yourself? How'd you get smart on KM? A lot of it is listening. I think it's very intimidating in the beginning because you think, oh, it's a really complex discipline. It's really difficult to encompass. It is a little squishy at times. It's not a science. It is a discipline. 
A lot of the things that I did was to listen, to engage. I do like to go to conferences. I think it's really important to talk to other KM professionals. I love KM World. It's a great opportunity for professionals to talk about the latest challenges. And for me, KM is not something that you learn and then it stops. You got to keep on talking about it. You got to keep on staying on top of not just the latest in technology, but also the latest in what problems are we addressing. When I talk about content noise, for me, that's my biggest pet peeve right now is how to get the right information and sort of exclude all of the other noise. So engagement, I would say. And the other thing, super important, is that it's okay if you don't understand anything. You know, sometimes you listen to conversation and you think, oh my gosh, I only understand 20% of this. It's okay because if you keep on listening and if you keep on getting involved, at some point, you're going to start making connections, right? And if you know yourself well enough, you're going to get it. Sandrine, as my three-year-old daughter says, you and I are going to be bestie besties. I love that philosophy. I, and that's absolutely right. And also recognize that you're never going to know everything. So ask no. questions and be comfortable mm. not knowing everything, mm. right? Let's shift course again a little bit back to the technology side of things. So Fragment is a SharePoint 0365 shop. That does a lot for content creation, content management. What else is on the technology landscape? How about findability? Are you getting into more of the advanced technologies like knowledge graphs, anything on the horizon? There are a few things that we're looking at outside of Microsoft 0365, which is great for internal needs, although there's some refinements that we need to make with respect to search and findability and you know metadata only gets you so far i think our biggest challenge is how do you surface information in the right ecosystem in the right process so right now if you're say working on an immigration case and you need to look up something you have to shift and pivot to the sharepoint platform even though you're working in a case management system one thing that we're looking at doing is how to better integrate remember when i talked about that great novel in the beginning where in your story is that information more relevant so figuring out where in the plot you need to access certain type of information so from an internal perspective that's what we're looking at from an external perspective and when i say external i think about our clients it's offering a different way of presenting our information to make it more relevant to them so topic-based purpose-based i think the pandemic really propelled us to think beyond just sharing information, but it was about sharing information at speed, at the right time for them to make the right decision about how to move their people when doors were shutting, borders were closing, and travel restrictions were sprouting up. And we couldn't think in the way that we had previously thought about information. We had to turn to technology. We put a bespoke platform together that's on our website right now that everybody in the world can consult today tell you what travel restrictions are in place in what country. And, you know, at the height of the pandemic, we were making 200 plus updates to that platform. So it's also learning how to be responsive to the client needs today and also to think a little bit farther ahead. You know, what are the things that are coming up that we may need to get into that we have to contemplate? And a lot of that is, you know, what happens when there's a crisis? What happens to information when there's a crisis? So you've already answered a couple of the questions I had about this. Sounds like there's an element of self-service to this. The KM team is generating, curating all this wonderful content. That's not just for your advisory group to leverage, to serve clients. It's directly to serve yes. clients. That's yes. pretty cool. But then you're also hitting on a really important point here. 
or a lot of this content gets stale very quickly. And in fact, there's a risk to your organization if some of the content that you've got out on the self-service site, frankly, to your advisory group as well, is out of date. So governance comes into play here, the speed to make changes and make decisions. How do you make KM that fleet of foot, that agile? A lot of lessons learned, a lot of mistakes made, but nothing, nothing that rocked the boat too much. So one thing that I like to do is always plan for the worst. So contemplate what's the worst thing that could happen. I always ask the team that what's the worst thing that could happen and how do we mitigate it? Get ahead of it. We have very, very complex processes in place with a lot of redundancy. And I'm the first one to acknowledge that maybe we're a little too focused on, on the redundancies. I like that in the sense that it allows for various checkpoints. And throughout those checkpoints means that there are various pairs of eyes and technology to make sure that there's no stale information out there. And there's also a process for updating and maintaining information for the COVID-19 information specifically. That's why it was helpful to put it on its distinct platform, because the pace at which we had to update information was much faster than any of our other content. So it was to address that particular need for speed. And that worked great. And it's okay. Like, it, I think it was a decision that we made where we said, yeah, we need something different. It's just not sustainable the way that we have it here. From my reference, what you basically, you recognized you had a different type of content. Yeah. And that different type of content needed to be treated differently, had different demands against it. And so you were able to move quickly enough to make that change. That's great. Yeah. Sandrine, let's go back to this cool idea that you have of a knowledge loop. And I really like the way that you explained this. We talk a lot about knowledge flows. As you described it, it sounded pretty content-centric of creating a piece of content, having it reviewed, having it get to the right people. But my sense is there's also a highly people-centric component of that. Fragment employs all this expertise. How do you pull the expertise of all of Fragment, the collective knowledge of the organization, and harness it in this digital forum so that others can benefit from it? I think a lot of it is relationships, good relationships. Within our knowledge group, we're not centered in the United States. And maybe I should have said this earlier, but we have a lot of our teammates are scattered around the world. We are an entirely remote team. So for us, remote working was nothing new. And that was done on purpose because that allows the formation of relationships in region, which means that it's much easier to embed that culture at the regional level than at the national level and at the organizational level. Same thing with the corporate teams when we talked a little bit earlier about country content and organizational content. It's tapping into the right people and working with them, having them contact us when there's a time of need and are being able to contact them when there's a time of need too. So that's where there's that sharing and that exchange. And the other thing that I have to say is the culture here at Fragment is that it's okay to not know things. It's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. And actually, I would say that every time you make a mistake and you learn from it, that's new content. So that's what you want to be generating and re-infusing into the organization. So I credit the Fragment culture or are being able to do that. That's a big deal. And boy, did you just hit it on the head. A mistake made, but documented so that others don't is one of the most valuable forms of real knowledge within an organization. I want to hit on this point though, because at the end of the day, you have some very expensive people that are very well-educated, very smart, very highly regarded, and hence very busy. How do you incentivize or reward or recognize people for taking the time to share their knowledge? Is it officially 
an expectation within the organization that everybody all the way up is going to do this? It's funny that you ask this now because HR just rolled out a new performance management structure and they did consult knowledge on it. And one of the aspects on the expectations is knowledge sharing. So that's recognized as part of your performance. This is brand new. So it hasn't been tested. It's come back to me in a year. But the fact is that prior to that, we have what we call the RISE platform that we use to thank people for the contributions. They get RISE points. They can go and shop and people love it. The other piece is if I look at our content, a lot of our content is used for our own benefits as employees. So for example, if you look at, at an SME and say German immigration, when they onboard a new team member, they will use our content to train that person, thereby helping them do their job and improve the performance of their team. So we also always try to really nourish that loop where you are actually contributing to us, but you're actually contributing to your own success, right? So if you use the knowledge that we help you curate, then you have an interest in the exercise. That in itself is really rewarding and it makes your job easier. You're preaching to the choir here, and you're saying something that seems so obvious to a KM professional, but I got to give you a ton of credit for creating that awareness and that understanding throughout the entire organization. That is unique, and I'm sure a ton of our listeners are saying right now, yeah, but how? How did this begin? How did this happen? You've mentioned leadership support, mentioned the great collaboration between different groups and different departments. Can you offer any other guidance to our listeners of the how, the nitty gritty of how you've really created this very healthy KM organization? A lot of talking. The thing about talking is it can't fall on deaf ears. So I don't think there's any way around the right leadership and the right culture. So if I were to think of what's the one thing you need for a successful KM, I'm going to say you got to have the culture. It's that social piece. You can have the process, you can have the technology, but if you don't have that fertile ground, you know, it's like growing tomatoes on Mars. It's just not going to happen. And you're going to get really frustrated. So it's the right people. I really do think it's the right people. And the, for us, it kind of happened organically. It's the right people who remain aware, who remain open to change. It's about getting people involved in improving our internet experience was about tell me what you hate about it right now. And then tell me what you want to see. And we may not meet all of your expectations, but we'll do our best to at least meet your needs. And then when you rule out the new interface, you know, what do you like about it? Do you think it's terrible? Do you think it's great? What would you want to see? And so you accept the fact that you may not get the greatest feedback at first, but you'll always work towards what somebody wants to see or what makes somebody's work easier. It doesn't happen overnight and it's a long process. So it does take patience. It takes sort of a certain amount of grit and good people. Highly agile, highly practical, highly iterative, yes. and just a lot of talking in the right way at the right level. I, I think Yeah, great and, and look, I'm a really firm believer when you said iterative, it's really important to move in stages and stop and look back and think, okay, did that work? Did that not work? What did we have to park so that we could make it work? And what do we need to pivot, if anything, right, for the next stage? Don't look at it in a straight line, look at it in a staircase form, if you will. Be gentle with yourself and with others. Give yourself that breathing room to think about what you've just done and what you may need to tweak to move forward. It's okay. Excellent. You're speaking in very agile terms and I appreciate yes. that. That's how we like to run transformation, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Like 
every two weeks, let's make sure we've got something to show and something to talk about and allow people to tell us that we got it completely wrong and pivot off of that guidance. That's great. Moving beyond Fragment, what about the KM field excites you right now? What do you see as the trend on the horizon, the thing that the communities of practice are talking about that gets you like really excited to try or to explore or to get into more? So I talked a little bit about content noise and I, you know, when it's a pet peeve, it dominates my life. So I'm really excited about technology that helps us make better decision about the content that we pay attention to. So I don't know about you, but by the end of the day, I know that I've been inundated with information and it's great, but it's exhausting. And it's not the information that's exhausting. It's the selection process. What should I retain among all of these pieces of information? What is it that I want to retain that's going to be useful today, that might be useful tomorrow, that may not be useful to me, but useful to somebody else? I think that's where technology can help us. And that's where I see a lot of the stuff, you know, a lot of the activity brewing that's really exciting because AI is not going to solve all of our problems. But Just like that e-visa system that the Australian government sort of invested in, it's about compartmentalizing content that can be automated, that can be sort of streamlined, and the stuff that you really need to pay attention to that's really valuable. Yeah, I think that's well said. We're really excited about AI, knowledge AI or enterprise AI, however you want to call it, with the recognition that it can't be this black box thing that just tells you what to say or how to think or what to prioritize. I think the value of AI within the KM realm is understanding how the tool made the decision or the recommendation that's being put in front of you. And we as KMers need to really shepherd that process. Where's Fragment in this? Have you all started playing with some of these technologies? Oh, we're definitely started playing with it. But I think there is that recognition that it's not going to replace humans and it's not for every process. That's the other key piece. AI is good with some processes and it's just not suitable for others, especially when, you know, a lot of what we do is impacting people's lives. So that's pretty high on the totem pole for us. And that's not something that you want to leave up to AI. Well said. And what a strong point to end on. Sandrine Krasnopolsky, CAM Director at Fragment, thank you so much for sharing your thought leadership, your guidance, and really just your overall philosophy. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate your time. Likewise. Thank you for having me. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the Knowledge Cast. Check out more information on knowledge management. Visit our website at enterprise-knowledge.com. Have a good day, y'all.